everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Waynesboro at Work. I'm your host, Brooke Anderson, and I'm very excited to be joined by Bill Stone today, who is the CEO of Mountain Lumber in Waynesboro. Bill, thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So for people that don't know, tell me a little bit about what Mountain Lumber Company does. Sure. We are uh, reclaimed and custom wide plank flooring and wall cladding guys. Uh, we do new wood, reclaimed wood. We do an awful lot of pre-finishing also, so we can both mill and make you whatever you want. Um, and then we can put finish on it. And we do a lot of work. Sort of part of our business is high-end residential, uh, you know, wide plank oak and walnut and reclaimed material and so on and so forth, heart pine, chestnut, etc. And a big chunk of our work really is commercial work. We are the largest uh, supplier nationwide for Starbucks for their wall cladding. So if you go into a Starbucks and you see cool stuff on the walls, it's from us. Um, if, if it's plywood or, or something boring, it's probably not from us. Um, but yeah, we do their stores. We're uh, starting this year, the only uh, wood supplier for Panera going forward. We do a lot of mod pizza. We do uh, all the CarMax stores. So a lot of retail, uh, a lot of work with Marriott, different like boutique hotels. We just did one in, um, Missoula, Montana. And again, it's a mix of flooring and, and wood wall cladding. Okay. So what we're, yeah, go ahead. Where do you source the wood from? You know, all over, we try and source locally as much as we can, right? I mean, we buy most of our walnut and oak from, uh, well, so reclaimed material pretty much comes from around here. Uh, people okay. taking down barns, um, and, and old buildings. Uh, occasionally we'll go up to the Northeast for heart pine. Sorry. And uh, um, and then as far as new wood, it, it depends. We source a lot out of North Carolina, some out of Virginia, but but really uh, oak and walnut, we do a lot with those two species. And, and the best material for that is coming from up north or out in the Midwest. Okay. Uh, but pretty much 100% uh, American suppliers uh, we use. Um, we don't really run any exotics or any, any overseas material every now and then, but not very often. Okay. So... Just out of curiosity, for, for people that are, you know, into conservation and things like that, sure. is there, what is, how does conservation play a part in what you do? Well, it's huge, right? I mean, we were founded on the premise of, you know, reusing materials that were headed for a landfill. Yeah. And a big chunk of our work still is reclaimed material. Now, you know, as far as, as the new lumber that we use, um, you know, one of the nice things in the United States is how forests have been managed. And if you go back and you look at the history in this country, um, you can see that, you know, uh, if you will, the total land under forest canopy, if you will, declined into the 50s and 60s and, and, and 70s. And then, you know, folks started paying attention. And that resource has, uh, has, has started to climb back in terms of you know, getting this back to where we were. Uh, in terms of forest coverage, and that's great. And, and you know, fundamentally, lumber is a pretty sustainable thing, right? It's a plant, and um, uh, and so you know, we do our best to source responsibly, to you know, purchase things that are you know, ho hopefully closer to us, so we're not uh, you know, sending trucks all over the place and so on and so forth. But you know, it's definitely something that's been a part of our fabric since we started in 1974. Wow. So you're yeah. saying that you started in 1974. So how did you get started? Yeah, so our founder is a guy named Willie Drake from Charlottesville, and he started the company. He was working construction. He'd actually just come back from Vietnam, mm. and um, 
he was working construction in Charlottesville and somebody wanted a chestnut mantle, which of course chestnut trees don't grow anymore uh, or they don't grow very big anymore. And so he went to West Virginia and found some chestnut and kind of got interested in it and, and kind of got to a place where he started finding the folks out there that were taking buildings down. And we know all the demo contractors from you know here to Boston and, and South. Um, and initially, you know, it's funny now, you know, we pay a lot of money for really high end, let's say reclaimed heart pine these days, mm-hmm. back when Willie started this business, you get it for free because they were you know, going to mm-hmm. send it to the landfill. So he really was a pioneer. I mean, a lot of credit goes to him. He kind of figured it out, developed a lot of the products that we still sell today. Mm-hmm. Um, and Willie retired about 12 years ago. Is that right? 10 years ago, 12 years ago. I forget how long I've been here. <laughs> um, and that's where I came in. So, you know, we've, we've had two leaders for 45 years and, and well, 40, whatever that is, seven years now, I guess. Um, and we just keep cranking on. And, and um, you know, when the pandemic hit and things slowed down a little bit for us, we had the opportunity to move to Waynesboro and, and we did. So uh, we've been here now for, geez, a little over a year, I guess, uh, in this facility down at South River Mill Complex in downtown Waynesboro. Awesome. So, so far, it's been fun. So for someone like me who doesn't know why chestnut trees don't grow very big anymore, what is the answer to that? Okay. So I believe it was in 1908, a lady in, I've heard New York, I've heard Richmond, had a garden, had a garden, uh, um, you know, like a big (laughs) trees and stuff, right? Uh, Somebody with a lot of money. And they wanted a chestnut tree because if you've ever seen chestnuts flower, it's beautiful, uh, gorgeous tree. And at that time, chestnuts were 40% of the American forest, uh, which is amazing if you think about it. I mean, oaks aren't even, well, oak, red and white oak combined might be 40% these days, but it was a really dominant species. Unfortunately, American chestnuts, uh, so, so I'm sorry, she brought in a Chinese chestnut tree, mm. planted it, and, and Chinese chestnuts genetically carry and are able to overcome a blight that kills American chestnuts. And so oh. that tree came over. Uh, possibly others. And then the blight was here. And once it got out, uh, basically what happens is it, it infects the American chestnut tree. They can only grow to, usually the biggest one I've ever seen is maybe 20 feet tall and, and only maybe a six to eight inch circumference trunk, you know, whereas these used to be massive, massive like oak trees, big trees. Uh, so they get about that big and then they die because they can't handle the blight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in there, unfortunately now it's in their genetics, it's in the seeds. And so, um, you know, there probably are a few chestnuts here and there, uh, American chestnuts are still alive. They're mature trees, but generally speaking, they, they don't live very long. Uh, gotcha. I've got one in my, I've got one at my farm in Stewart's draft and you can already see it's got the blight and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it'll last a few more years. So, you know, I, I don't know. They're, they're, the American chestnut society is trying to figure out how to kind of crossbreed and get a hybrid that's that's resistant and hopefully they will it's a beautiful tree but gotcha. that's the that's the story of chestnut it's and it's not unusual yeah you know, it's mm-hmm. nature um right. you, you know the first time anyone went to alaska there were no trees well that's because they're down the beetles come through and they eat all the hemlocks mm. and then the hemlocks are all gone and the beetles go away and the hemlocks come back so um hopefully a circle of life thing and we'll get our our chestnut trees back one of these days we'll see. Right. I was just thinking as you were talking that you have kind of a front row seat to the to the cycles of nature in in what yeah. you do. Yeah. It is. So, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. How did so how did you get involved <laughs> in right. uh this business? 
Yeah, I know. So uh, my background is not lumber. Um, I was, uh, well, I'd worked for a big corporation in Richmond for a few years, and I didn't love that. Uh, I bought and still own a different business, completely unrelated to this one. But basically, a friend of mine was, you know, un- knew the owners of this business, and they were looking for somebody to take over when Willie was ready to retire. And I stepped in, and, you know, 12 years later, here I am. It definitely gets in your blood. It's a lot of fun sometimes. <laughs> gotcha. So were you as a kid interested in trees? Like where does the, where did the, the passion yeah. spark originally? You know, I don't know. It, 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 Cause it, you're either, you either love this business or you don't. And, mm. and um, uh, I think for me, you know, I grew up in Appalachia. We're mm. lucky that, you know, this is one of the most biodiverse uh it's basically a temperate rainforest. There's only two on earth. There's one here and there's one in Russia that have the diversity of species. And frankly, from a wood perspective, you know, arguably this is one of the best places in the world. Because yeah. if you look around, well, if you look around outside, I mean, think about it. You go out to California, you got fir trees, hemlocks, that's it. You got evergreens. We've got those plus pines, plus oak, maple, hickory, ash, walnut, pretty much everything. I mean, you know, you probably, a lot of folks probably don't, aren't even aware that in their yard around here, they've got, you know, a cherry tree and a walnut tree and you see walnut trees everywhere around here. So we really are fortunate to be in this part of the country. And it's why there's such a lumber presence in this part of the world. Gotcha. So just another reason why the Shenandoah Valley is such a special place um, to be. So tell me a little bit about what a day in the life is like in mountain lumber? Like what is your day-to-day yeah. like? Sure. Yeah, well, yeah, right. Pre-pandemic or now. Yeah. And, and, and it's <laughs> exactly. funny because, you know, for us, the pandemic was interesting. It, it Initially, it slowed our sales down and then they picked back up again um, pretty pretty quickly. Uh, wood has become a, an issue. I mean, everyone has heard this right yes. now. You know, I'm paying four or five times what I was paying for plywood. Uh, we make engineered flooring for example, and that's a hardwood piece on plywood. But uh, lumber is incredibly difficult to find. We're fortunate. We've got suppliers we've worked with for years and years. Um, You know, a typical day, obviously, well, for us, it's getting orders out the door. Um, We have a lot of, obviously, having these large clients who continuously order. um, You know, we just have a lot of that sort of day-to-day getting things out. But, you know, what we're doing here every day is we're, you know, (laughs) we're taking large pieces of wood and turning them into smaller pieces of wood, milling them into floors or, or, you know, wall cladding or whatever. And, um, and then a lot of pre-finishing. We can do things here with pre-finishing that you simply cannot do on a home, you know, on a site finish at your home. We have, you know, there's all kinds of cool things that we can do that you just can't achieve without having the machines that we have. Um, You know, for example, we could, wire brush a floor, paint it white, back sand off. So you just get white down in the grain a little bit. Mm. And, um, you know, things like that, that we could do. Um, and our finishes are a lot more durable. We run UV finishes, which means it comes off our line. It's cured. Uh, you don't have to put it in your house. You, you put your furniture on it, you know, off you go. And, and we're real, obviously we, we serve a lot of high end folks. So we're real careful to use finishes that look really good. They're not going to, you're not going to get that shiny stuff that you see at Lowe's or, lumber liquidators. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's what we do day in and day out right here. Yes. Well, that's, that sounds amazing. Um, So (laughs) one of the questions that I have for you is, you know, you've been around since 1974. You've clearly 
sort of the stuff of like Shark Tank entrepreneur dreams that you're in Starbucks and Panera and all of these places. So what was the evolution like? How did you get your foot in the door with those heavy hitters? Well, it's, it's kind of random. Uh, we have the distinction somehow of having done four stores on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. Wow. Um, okay. Didn't even didn't even know. Sometimes we don't <laughs> even, you know, a contractor will order something in Los Angeles, we'll ship it to his shop, and we don't. sometimes we don't know where it's going. Right. But uh, if you've ever heard of Badgley Mishka, by any mm-hmm. chance, they're yes. a high-end gown designer. So we did three or four of their stores, uh, their New York flagship, their their Beverly Hills uh, Rodeo Drive store. And um, someone from Starbucks wandered in there and said, wow, this is gorgeous. And that's where, you know, they called us. There was a period of time back in the day when Starbucks was doing a lot of like plywood, you know, just kind of cheap veneer. I hate to say this, but kind of like what you see at Subway, you know, on the front of the bar. Right. Um, And, you know, they wanted to get away from that and have a better experience for their customers. So they called us uh, and, and, Man, that was 2010, I guess, 10 or 11 years ago. And, um, you know, obviously when they call, you hop on a plane and you go out to Seattle <laughs> and, you, and you meet them. And they've been great. You know, we've, yeah. we've had a long relationship. I don't know how many million square feet we've shipped to them and other retailers. Um, mm. And uh, it's been super, you know, it's been super for us, particularly even, you know, during the pandemic. Um, right. Because it gave us some, some level of stability of, you know, we know these sales are going to come. So. so tell me a little bit more about what happened um, there during the pandemic and what the impact of that has been on your industry. Sure. Um, a lot of residential work happened. Obviously, people staying home and, and spending money on their houses. <laughs> so we saw, you know, a bump in that side of our business. But yeah, commercial initially just almost stopped for about a month mm. as, as everybody was sort of like, whoa, whoa what are we going to do? Um it didn't stop for us per se. Cause you know, we had kind of stuff already in the pipeline and um, some other, well, uh, we had to cover, we had, there, there was another supplier that actually got shut down for a few weeks and we, we had to sort of pick up their volume for one of our clients. So yeah, we saw a drop and then things kind of, everybody was, you know, back in March, April of last year, May was kind of like, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen here. And, I'd say by about July, August, things started kind of coming back. And by the end of the year, we're pretty well back to normal. So, um, you know, for us, it was good. It gave us some time where we, you know, weren't crammed with work to mm-hmm. get our move done here. And, and, you know, frankly, that that played into our thinking around, you know, we knew we wanted to come back to Virginia. We went, we, we've been up in West Virginia for six or seven years. Uh, the labor market up there is beyond difficult mm-hmm. um, for all kinds of reasons. But uh mostly opioids, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we, we said, Hey, you know what, we're tired of this. And, uh, most of our key folks are Virginians. And so we brought it back down this way. Uh, we had been located, like I said, in Charlottesville, then we were split between Charlottesville and West Virginia for a while. Okay. And then we got, we had gotten to a place where we had a, you know, we had a storefront a showroom in, in Crozet, Charlottesville. Uh, we had to close that for the pandemic. So at that point we were pretty much hundred percent West Virginia, um, and we didn't like that too much. So, gotcha. uh, yeah, so that was kind of, kind of the, uh, I don't know, the catalyst for that. Okay. So what makes Waynesboro, like you're thinking of this transition from West Virginia back to yep. Virginia, what made Waynesboro the spot for you to set up shop? Sure. You know, uh, we'd been in Charlottesville before, 
Um, we had a plant in Ruckersville, uh, which is technically Greene County, not even Albemarle. Um, and we just had lots of problems with, you know, we were zoned to do whatever we wanted, but mm -hmm. there were neighborhoods around us. And, you know, folks would get upset if we ran the sawmill at 10 o'clock at night, even though we <laughs> were technically allowed to. But we really just didn't have any place to go. We were just kind of pinned in. And, um, uh, you know, why Waynesboro? Um, some of, well, one of my, my key guys is from here. Uh, I love the Valley. So I've, I kind of split time between here and Richmond. But uh, once my kids are, are headed off to college pretty soon, I'll be up here full time. I've always loved this part of the country. I think the Shenandoah Valley is absolutely stunning. Mm. Um, I think it's as close as you get to Montana on the East Coast um, and in a lot of ways better. So um, just love the area. Uh, great transportation, right? 80, 81 and 64 right here. Um, you know, we started kind of looking around. Um, <laughs> I like towns like Waynesboro. I like towns who, you know, frankly, have taken one on the chin. I mean, if you look across the, the river, there's this dinosaur, you know, DuPont plant slash Superfund site. And um, I've been coming to Waynesboro since I was in grad school at UVA 22 years ago uh, to fish, to fly fish downtown. So right. um, love the area, uh, kind of love the idea of trying to help you know, move the needle a little bit. There's, you know, right here in South River Mill Complex, there's all kinds of cool stuff getting made. Mm. You know, we've got a, we've got a guy casting concrete benches for high-end hotels. We've got a blacksmith school, um, just all kinds of neat makers. Okay. Uh, clay, there's a, there's a clay studio here, several sort of architectural design studios uh, and artists. So yeah, we kind of put it all together. We love the area. Uh, it's much more, uh, friendly environment to run a manufacturing company than Charlottesville um, mm -hmm. by a long, long shot. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, it just kind of worked for us um, right. and we like it so far. It's been great. We've, we've hired uh, at the moment, we've probably got about 25 folks. Um, you know, we'll add, we'll add some more here, um, you know, over the coming months. And we've been really happy, you know, with the workforce and everything. So, so far, so good. Yeah, I think you really um, described it really well. One of the things that sticks out to me is, like you said, there are so many people doing innovative things, you know, makers, as you called them, but you're in a town that is has that community feel to it, so you're not sure. lost in the shuffle. And the entrepreneurs and business owners and business leaders seem to kind of really um, have each other's back and kind of create a little bit of an ecosystem there amongst themselves the, the environment here, you know, our electricians, we use Alan Yoho and his gang, and they are fantastic. I mean, they just do stuff mm -hmm. perfectly correctly. They're super responsive. They're just great guys. And, and the environment here after, you know, again, some of the things we dealt with up in West Virginia, uh, it's night and day. It's been really nice. Wonderful. So I want to backtrack just a little bit. I know we, we touched on the pandemic in the industry, but you know, at the end of the day, you are a business leader and you're leading a team and you're having to keep things going. So what was it like for you personally to be faced with having to do all of that during a pandemic? Yeah, well, I mean, at first it was terrifying, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we, none of us really knew. I mean, I, I remember you know, personally getting off an airplane um, and being in Charleston, South Carolina, and basically just having to drive home because 
you know, it had just kind of come out that this thing is happening. People are dying. And of course we didn't know, right. Back in March, we, we didn't have, you know, all I knew if I caught this, you know, anyway, it was, it was very scary early. And I had several personal friends who, I mean, a good friend of mine almost passed away and it's going to have complications for the rest of his life. Yeah. Another good personal friend lost her sister who was a 42 year old triathlete. Wow. And, and, you know, now I think we know a lot more, obviously, and, and understand sort of, you know, who's more at risk and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, that aspect is terrifying. Of course, you, you have to communicate with your employees. And, and we pretty much told our folks, look, um, and that, you know, another thing we face in West Virginia is the simple fact that a lot of, even though we offer health insurance to our employees, a lot of our employees up there chose not to, to take it. Mm. And so you've got folks, you know, that might be living in a house with a couple of different generations. And um, so we told our folks, look, if you're not comfortable coming to work because of this, um, then that's fine. You can, you know, you can, we'll lay off and you can get that 600 bucks a week or whatever it was. Um, so we did that. And of course we also had to take a lot of precautions, right? A lot of things we had, to, we had to put in place to make sure that people were distanced within our facility. Um, you know, anytime the whole contact tracing and all the the sort of SOPs that were new to all of us in terms of how to handle that. So we so we kind of went through that. Um, of course, our travel stopped. Right. I mean, we all went to Zoom meetings, and uh, which you know, in some ways, has been kind of nice. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been to Seattle and Chicago enough times now; I don't need to go back there over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just a lot of uncertainty frankly. And, and then now, ironically, as the uncertainty has kind of dropped around the, the actual virus, um, you know, then the wood business just went haywire. Right. Um, you know, the wood shortages right now are, are a little loony, although I think that's starting to ease. So we'll see. Yeah, that's one thing I wanted to ask you is, is from your perspective, being in the thick of it, what do you see happening with that? Do you like how far do you think this pattern is going to going to trend? Well, well, I think um, I, I don't know, right? I'm not a I'm not a macroeconomist, mm-hmm. economist, whatever it is. I'm a lumber guy. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, as far as lumber is concerned, I think you know, number one, last summer the loggers weren't out because of mm-hmm. COVID. You know, you think about it, they start going out in April, May, and and that was right that time when people were just like, stay home, don't do anything. Um, so they didn't log much, and then you know, frankly. <laughs> Um, you know, I think a big part of it is after the last election, the Chinese came in and really started buying heavily because, you know, some of the threats of tariff, tariffs had, had, or the uncertainty, I guess, around tariffs because of some of the sort of volatility, if you will, from the previous administration was gone and they felt like, okay, we can now execute. And so I think, you know, you had a perfect storm of not a lot of lumber, a lot of overseas, and it's not just the Chinese, it's, you know, all over the world. Um, and demand went up. Because people started redoing their houses or building houses. You know, I think you've probably seen the stats. I mean, it's the cost of two by fours alone, I think, is adding fifteen or twenty thousand dollars to the average American house cost. Um, And so, you know, when will that end? Um, It's it's funny. In the markets that that we're in, um, oak, walnut, I mean, reclaim's not impacted at all, but in the, in the lumber markets, um, you know, I think it's starting to loosen a little. Um, I don't know when it, it goes back to where it was. And, and I'm frankly not entirely sure pricing comes back down, even as availability becomes better. Um, because I think a lot of people in the lumber business are just saying, hey, you know what, it's time to reset where our mm-hmm. prices are. Um, 
I've heard that a lot from folks. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, I think the supply will start coming back pretty good, you know, this fall, winter. Okay. Uh, I would expect it to be better, but, um, you know, I could be wrong. So we'll see. Well, good information to keep in mind for people that are thinking about renovations or building or whatnot. Um, I know I, I sure. had a friend that redid her kitchen floors and her stuff not only was much more expensive, but supply chain was an issue as well. So sure. Um, yeah, it's difficult. So I can I can almost sense all of the folks that are listening that are like fans of HGTV and all of these all of these design shows. Um, urging me to ask if you see any trends in what is popular, you know, everybody, like you said, is redoing their homes, but what seems to be the most popular um, items that people are after? Sure. Uh, You know, look, um, first of all, it's always dangerous to ask me about design (laughs) trends. I mean, you know, blue shirt, blue jeans, blue hat. Um, I feel like you fit. I feel like you fit the that, part, though. Like, I could see you on an HGTV show. I, I could. Right. You know, it goes back and forth. I think five, ten years ago, it was rustic. Everybody wanted barnwood. Now it's clean. Um, you know, from my perspective, trends start in Europe. They go to California. They go to New York. And then they start coming to everyone else in the middle, right? Gotcha. Um, and, you know, our what we're seeing is more clean. You know, we used to do, like I said, a lot of reclaim, a lot of rustic, a lot of distressed material. Um, and now I'm seeing more sort of a cleaner European look, um, or, or the combination of rustic with clean. So for example, you do a, you do a kitchen and you use a rustic wood floor and rustic oak countertops, but then you Mm -hmm. put in, you know, stainless steel, uber modern looking, you know, your, whatever, your cool oven, your gas oven and all, all that. So yeah, design, some of the materials remain rustic. I think design is getting a little cleaner. Um, uh, generically now, you know, uh, a lot of work we do. I mean, I had a call from a homeowner the other day down in Louisa who needed 150 feet of 16 foot long by 11 inch wide heart pine boards, reclaimed heart pine boards, which, um, you know, that's, that's expensive wood. Um, so you're going to get that. You're going to have folks that are remodeling a house in Williamsburg and they need, art pine or, or what have you. Right. Yeah. I think, I think, I mean, you know, if you look at the restaurants and stuff that, that are being built now, it's a little, there's a little rustic splash and that's, I think how our wall cladding fits in really well. Right. right. You can put that, you can put that on the wall or under a counter or under a bar and, um, and still have a very modern looking place as opposed to maybe, you know, putting it on the floors, walls and ceilings. Right. Right. Um, where you right. feel like you're inside a tree when you walk in. So, <laughs> gotcha. um, but yeah, that, you know, I think, I think a little cleaner and I, you know, I think the trend of renovating and preserving old spaces is wonderful. And I think it will continue, you know, it has to continue. I mean, why on earth do you, do you go into Stanton and knock down one of those beautiful old buildings and put up anything, you know, uh, new, I, I don't understand why you do that. Right. Right. <laughs> I can't wrap my, I'm not saying there's not great architects out there, but I can't imagine doing that. It just it breaks my heart every time I see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there for sure. Um, yep. You know, there's this theory in design that like eventually everything comes back in style again. So yeah. eventually, you know, you'll, you'll have right. the it thing. Um, right. So for, I have this theory that a lot of um, good ideas or a lot of ambition 
like dies on living room couches and in garage and in basements because people have like a good idea or they want to start a business or whatnot, but they never actually take the next step to do it. And same thing with being a business leader where you have to take your business kind of through these evolutions. What advice do you have for people um, from the years that you've been in your position of how you kind of stay motivated and not just have an idea, but actually like bring it to fruition? You know, I, yeah. um, First of all, you've got to have the DNA right? There's a leap. I mean, I went from corporate America way back when, and I bought my little company and, and, um, um, you know, you've got to have that willingness to take some risk. And some people just aren't programmed that way. It's that simple. And if, and if you can't handle that and, and dealing with people and all of the randomness, uh, that people can bring and so on and so forth. But if you can look, my, my, my viewpoint is if, if you can work for yourself that you'll never go back to working for anybody else again. That's mm-hmm. simple. I mean, everyone I know who, you know, I went to business school with who has left the banks and the consulting firms and the corporate America and gone out on their own are all just like, I'll never do it again, ever, ever. I mean, unless I, it, it, unless I have to, to eat. Um, <laughs> so it's definitely, it's definitely worth doing. You gotta, you gotta be able to take the risk. You know, the first thing, if you've got an idea that I would suggest is just go talk to as many business leaders as you can, find a good attorney, find a good accountant, and just talk to them. Um, but, you know, beyond that, if you're passionate about it, be really good at it, because that helps. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, just get out there. It's it's not hard to start a company. It's not hard to, you know, get get a little bit of funding, you know, either through the, st- the state or what, hap- uh, what have you. But, you know... Um, do a lot of planning, have a plan, have a financial plan and, and just talk to a lot of people who've done it before um, and be willing to take some pretty difficult feedback sometimes. Right. You know, sometimes you yeah. think you have the best idea in the world and 15 people in a row tell you it's, you know, it's not going to work and, and uh, they're not always right. But, um, but definitely listen to those who have gone before, I would say, but it's, it is, it's a phenomenal way to live. It's absolutely wonderful if you can pull it off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I think that's a good point that, you know, part of it is, you know, developing your idea, but also being able to pivot, like if, if it's not quite the right idea at the right time. Um, absolutely. And knowing, no, we, yep. yes, go ahead. No, I mean, 12 years ago, all we made, when I got here, all we made was unfinished reclaimed solid flooring, period. And we sold 96% of that to residential. And if we were still doing that today, we would be a itty bitty tiny little company because our market has changed. Um, and so, um, yeah, you definitely have to pivot. I, you know, my philosophy is if you get into just about any business and stick around for a while, you can figure out ways to make money. Mm-hmm. You can find those places in that market that are either underserved or, or inefficiently served. And, um, and so get into it and work in, in it for a few years and kind of figure it out. And, and then, yeah, you got to jump. I mean, at some point um, you can do all the planning and all the talking and all that stuff, but at some point, you know, you got to start finding your own paycheck. Right. Yeah. And, um, and that can be pretty daunting, but, but highly rewarding. So. Right. Well, you're, you're proof positive that your philosophy works because you have you know, taken sometimes. it to where it is today. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I, it's been some, it's been, there's always some sleepless nights. But yeah, absolutely. That's, that's how it goes. 
Yeah. Yes. I think entrepreneurs get really familiar with um, 3 a.m. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. It's been wonderful to have you on the show. And where can people find more information about you? Well, I mean, we're, we're at South River Mill in Waynesboro. At some point in the near future, we'll be set up where folks can, even if they're doing home renovation projects and they just need a little bit of wood, a lot of times we'll run a job. You know, we did a 145,000 square feet for a new skyscraper in Manhattan that was three to $30 million condos. And I've got some of it left over. It's really nice stuff. And so at some point, we're going to set up a little shop here where people can come in and buy 50 to 100 feet of this out or the other. Um, so, you know, if they, if, they, if they want to learn more about us, uh, give us a couple months. We'll have something set up and they can just come down and see us. Okay. Um, beyond that, you know, mountlumber.com is out there and, um, and we're local. Awesome. Uh, you know, if, if you're an architect or designer uh, or a homeowner who's interested in our products, give us a call. Wonderful. Yeah, I think a lot of people will be interested in coming to visit you and seeing the materials for sure. So yeah. look forward to that. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. Um, and for everybody watching, we do Waynesboro at work every other month. So stay tuned for more episodes. In the meantime, if you'd like to learn more about business in Waynesboro and the business leaders and entrepreneurs that are doing such great work here, please visit growwaynesboro.com and waynesborobusiness.com. You can also find the podcast on the Visit Waynesboro YouTube channel, and you can also subscribe on any of your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify. Until next time, take care. Thank you.